All right. I'm at the Red House with a new friend of mine, Seth Williams. How uh, you doing? I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to get the chance to learn more man, about you. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me out and looking forward to it, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> First time I saw you play, songwriter session, songwriter kind of swap Yeah. at Gas Hill. Oh, uh, yeah, with uh, Kyle Kelly and Bo James. Yeah, yep, with Bo. And, there you uh, <laughs> Representing. Yeah, and it was fun for me because I, it was a moment where, as, as odd as this sounds, Sometimes in the war, in in the local music scene or the North Carolina music scene, I'd see a lot of artists that are more like on the indie side, more yeah. on the old time side, like everything other than pure songwriter like stuff. Right, right. And I saw you guys, and I was like, those are like my kind of blood. Right there. <laughs> uh, the same cloth there. Yeah, I really loved your performance. I really loved what oh, you did. Thank you, man. Thank you. Where did uh, your love of music begin? Well, um, I think it would all start back with my mom's dad. Um, we call him Papa Joe. He has always had guitars at the house, played bluegrass, and just as a young kid going over there, you know, hey, we're going to go to Papa Joe's house and hang out. You know, whether you're cooking, grilling, or just, you know, I was dropped off overnight and I had to go work yards and stuff with him with his lawn business or something. The evening would always end with, like, playing guitar, bluegrass. So I, I have early memories of just a lot of bluegrass music like that if it wasn't riding around with uh the parents and their kind of choices of music and, and things like that that's mm -hmm. a big staple into what started because i had i took guitar lessons but it was one of those things that as a kid it didn't stick i even remember taking piano lessons very is a very very brief moment like snap your fingers and it was over very brief <laughs> yeah and of course you know i had all that I, none of it stuck but like eight years old playing guitar of course none of it stuck but then turn around 12 13 and we had some guitars in the house that i had never touched and one day i just started picking it up i had gotten one of those uh it's a funny story i got one of those canjos have you ever seen it's like a tobacco yeah. stick with the with like a mountain dew can or something and the both the tops and bottom were cut out and it's just one thin string through it mm -hmm. and i remember um, I, I think we might have been up in uh, Boone or something, but it was this old man in overalls, and he looked like um, Uncle Jesse from Dukes of Hazard. That's what, I, what stuck out to me. And I'm talking to him, and he said, hey, son, you need one of these. And he picked it up, and I remember it was clear as day. It was a Mountain Dew can on a stick with a string, and he gave me this card, and I think Dad spent like 15 bucks on it. And all, this card had to play like Happy Birthday, uh, Mary had a little lamb just simple stuff just one two threes that was on the fretboard and um, one of the things he showed me this newspaper it was a banjo player he's like this boy just played somewhere like out in Nashville something like that and he told me he said every uh, one I've sold to I've had a story come back where they started and they become like a big time musician and man I, that was one of, I remember that day so clear and he handed me that thing and the first thing I did was got in the car and I know probably mom and dad were annoyed as hell by the time, like 30 minutes into the drive, because I'm back there just banging on this thing, <laughs> trying to figure it out. And and sure enough, that led to me picking up the guitars around the house, going back over to Papa Joe's and him being like, well, you know anything about bump strum? I was like, bump strum? Yeah, you got to have that bump strum in there, man. You, know, you ain't playing. You're just going to be whacking away on that thing. So that's all that foundation come in from just that basic understanding of you know and that the canjo thing uh, it contributed a lot to my understanding of it because 
it's just the, the simple, it wasn't too big to, to tackle. So mm-hmm. it was just the simple things and, and learning a fretboard. And so when it got to, well, you got your chord bases, now let's learn some scales. All that kind of circled back on itself when I was looking, and it's just like, well, you got half step, whole step, half step, whole step, whole step, and a half. You know, you just go up and down the fretboard. And so that, that guy, I can't remember his name, but I know he looks like Uncle Jesse from uh, Dukes of Hazard. to think of that guy. This is all his fault. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a can, Joe. I, I had one sitting around here for a oh, couple yeah. <laughs> of years, and I don't remember what happened to it. I don't remember why I got it, where I got it. But, yeah, I had one for a while. And I think I remember the scale was messed up on it. Like, it wouldn't it only play, I think because there was only one scale on it, and the way that mine, at least, was spaced out, it yeah. wasn't a minor scale, so it would only play, like, a major, major scale. Major, yeah, th- that was the good thing about it. anywhere you landed. You yeah. sounded, you had it halfway decent. You sounded pretty decent on it, because it's like, and that, I think that gave me a confidence, because it's like, well, it wasn't six strings and 45 frets up and down the fretboard where every other note sounds wrong. It's like, no, it, it gets you that confidence of, like, of understanding a musical ability uh, yeah. to, to a point, you know, you can you can play it and it's not gonna sound right, you know, or wrong, you know. So that that helped out a lot starting out. So canjo and bluegrass being yeah. the foundation for everything for you. That that's where it took off, and then from there, um, you know, uh, having friends that uh, also played music and things. But we um, we had an antique mall in Madison, North Carolina, and around that time I started I got. A couple scales down from the pentatonic scale and my basic chord shapes and finally learning like uh the b7s and and bar chords you know finally getting to where when i strummed it it wasn't all buzzy so i was around that time and we had these open mic kind of saturday sunday open mic bluegrass jams there and uh, got to meet a lot of guys and doing stuff like that. And I, that's where I first sang a song up in front of people. I'd sing to myself and sing to mom and dad a little bit, but nothing nothing too serious. And I think I played uh, Marshall Tucker, Can't You See? Mm. And I played that up in front of them for the first time. And that's where it went into, well, maybe I need to start learning more cover songs, maybe even writing my own songs, and going from there. And that around that time, God, I was listening to... I was listening to like Led Zeppelin, super, super heavy. So, you know, I wanted the humbucker sound. Mm-hmm. I basically, if I could have afforded it, I probably would have went and got like a rhinestone dragon jumpsuit like Jimmy had. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have had the whole thing. I was such a big Led Zeppelin fan at that time. So all those heavy, heavy riffs like that were really interesting to me. So that on top of the bluegrass and then learning country songs to keep up with the open mic thing, it was just a... it. I don't know if it's a good mix or a bad mix or what, but it just got all, all thrown in there mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time, you know. Yeah, but you remember much of that? How old were you when you first performed? Oh man, I had to be. It wasn't long. Probably fourteen. Like when it started really taking it serious, booking a show, you know, playing your local coffee shop or, or yeah. something like that. Fourteen, fifteen. You remember that for the, some of those early performances and what it felt like. Uh, yeah, it was nerve wracking. Uh, it was, uh, you got, it, I learned self-confidence a lot. And the, one of the first things you kind of learn is you think the whole room is zeroed in on you, which is nothing further from the truth. Like when you get up there and there may be four or five people paying attention, those people in that bar and restaurant talking amongst themselves, it's that. So it almost in a way, when you seriously just take a moment and look out and go, 
well, some of these people aren't even paying attention. So it relieved a little bit. And as I got to play in and getting that route, uh, the fear of, you know, oh gosh, everybody's going to be seeing me. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're not going to be seeing me. Well, I need to get their attention. Yeah. Now you, then, and then it flips. Then you want their attention in a way, you know, you, you want to grab their attention. So you got to play those cover songs or, and mix in your original songs and, and really grab them. But those first few gigs, it, it was that learning process. But I, luckily I had a little bit of a, a background structure and for, as far as getting in front of people because I played with my church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a good friend, Luke Jones, that played guitar, and uh, he showed me some stuff like that. And just getting up in front of people, was uh, it was an easier process because I had done it in small increases up until you know, booking that show. Yeah. So then you finally decided you were going to step into the world of songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> was that a, was that a fluid evolution or was it, was it full of effort? It was, it was a little bit of both because of that friend I mentioned, Luke Jones. He, he wrote songs for the church and he had a couple rock and roll songs. Obviously you can't play with the church band. So me and him would get together and we would play his songs and he would encourage me to, to write and, and all that stuff. So with with all that, I guess, like bluegrass background rock and roll stuff, it was more rock and roll leaning when I, when I would write, but uh, it was very simple, verse, chorus, verse kind of stuff. But I, I don't know, I was, I was trying, trying to find that way. I remember writing something that sounded like Johnny Cash, and then I'd be like, well, that's not no good. And then I'd write like a Rolling Stone sounding song, and it's like, well, that's not, not so good, but... I don't know that I was I was encouraged by a good friend that I was inspired by to write. So I wanted to I wanted to be like him in a, in a way, be like, all right, that's good enough to play with Luke. Yeah, that's mm. good enough to me and him sit down. And when he started to be like, man, that's a good one. That's got some good stuff in there. It's like the encouragement from there went on. So yeah, you know, just trying to, uh, and I, I guess I still am. I'm, I'm switching it up every day, but uh, finding trying to find that voice and that vein that you know. It comes out on paper easy. It comes out, which, you know, that, that's a whole thing in itself. But um, trying to write, I learned real quick that you can't write about, there's some songwriters that can, but I can't. I can't write like this fantasy stuff that didn't really happen to me or I'm not really inspired mm. by. So it it took me a minute, but to figure out to go write from your experiences or write by things you're influenced by, that I'd, I really started to zero in on that because... When you're up on stage, you know, at least for me, I don't want to play anything that's fictitious when it comes to like a, even a cover song. It's like, well, this is not a song I'd even listen to or yeah. whatever. You know, I don't want to play anything that feels fictitious or lying to the crowd or this, that, and the other. Uh, I want it to feel like a genuine thing because it, feel, it feels like it's just, you know, when you get up there and you play a song that you don't feel quite confident about or you just wrote to just to write or have filler i want something that feels like when i get up there it it almost gives you a confidence boost to go like well this is my story or i've seen these things or uh i love or hate these things you know you do you have that in your song and you have a bit of yourself to fall back on in those songs and and sing to people so but 
I don't know, man. <laughs> did you did you try a few of those songs? I'm I'm guessing you tried a few of more like the the fantasy realm or the realm that didn't have anything to do with you. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that, and I found out real quick. It's like this. It, that's where that disingenuous thing is. Like, man, that's that's not me, man. That's not me. I'm trying I'm trying to sound like that Led Zeppelin thing, or mm-hmm. I'm trying too hard. And then when I just let the actual just flow come out and be like, well. Or you, you're driving down the road or in the shower or something with your idle mind, and then that line comes to you. It's like, oh, man, that that's cool. Let's write it down. And that's when I started to realize, okay. I think Tom Petty put it best. He's like, man, it's like when you write a song, sometimes the heavens open up, and you only have a certain window of time before it closes back. It's like a magical thing that happens, and you just got to gotta capture it. And I can't tell you how many times I've pulled off the road to jot something down or put it in my phone or sing a melody line and then go back to the house and then within a couple minutes I got a verse chorus and something you know there's something there to build off of yeah I I was I was listening to something recently I, I can't remember who the musician was but it was talking about his commitment to writing and how he it was kind of a common rule a commonly known thing among his family like if all of a sudden we're in the middle of dinner or middle of conversation, <laughs> yeah. if I just walk away and go into my writing room, it's because that's how like the window opened up. You, you know? gotta catch it. You yeah. gotta catch it. It's like Greg Allman said he wrote Midnight Rider within what thirty minutes to an hour that night. He wrote it with charcoal on something, <laughs> and it bam, it, there it was. There was a song, and luckily I've had a as a songwriter, I've had a couple of those experiences where within thirty minutes the song's written. You might have to go in, polish a few things, and it's done. And I've had songs that's taken me a year, year and a half. Yeah. And then it's finally like, but you just have to, those moments come. And you can't push it as a songwriter. I think that's happened a lot now. And that's how, when you get into that fictitious thing of, you know, especially what's happening on the radio now. It's, it's just all, we can talk about it all day long. You hear everybody talk about it. It's just something that sells. Yeah. It's that. And like I never want to be like that. And so I always want it to be real. I want it to be me. And and when you you know it's going to be you because it comes from that moment in time when that when those heavens opened up and you just had to jot it down. So yeah, man. That that's a song to me. You know, that's that's the song. You know, not getting in a <laughs> song interview. I keep mentioning other artists, but sorry, interview with uh, Hank Williams Jr. It's like, I'm going to go get together with five writers, and we're going to have a writing session. Like, a writing session? What the hell is that? Are <laughs> <laughs> you, you going to wait until the heavens open up and then a song? He's like, man, I get out on my boat. I go fishing. And he's like, he sang a little line of something, and he was like, oh, oh, got to get that. Got to jot that down. It's like, man, that, that that's how, I, mean, I think that's how people connect to an artist yeah. more than, you know, some... Song factory. Song factory, exactly. That's how, because... I think even if you're not a songwriter, you have those moments of clarity in your in your day to day life, you know, about situations or, or however else. It, it, we all experience that bit of relief or that thing opening up, and you got to capture it. Absolutely, man. You know, if I was a real journalist, uh, somebody <laughs> would have told me, "Hey, spend some time here." Uh, I got to see your set, and I remember that night being very immersed in your songs. Oh, man, thanks. Since then, I have not had the I have not had the, the the forward thinking enough to like research your music enough to like put you on the spot today. <laughs> so, what I'd like to do is just ask you if you can tell me about some of the songs you've written that you think oh, uh, sort of capture you capture your story in ways that you value ways that you are proud of or whatever 
Man, uh, one song that is a, it's an older song. I played it uh, last night actually at the Power and Sound pre-party. Um, I closed with it. It's one about my dad and just talking about growing up around uh, his racing career and uh, his kind of work work ethic, just with him in general. And um, it's called Six Second Six Days, and um, it's got a lot of things in it that are kind of specific where if you're an automotive person you'll connect with it because that's what i grew up around and and seen so you know it wasn't anything on a on a thursday friday night to hear a 700 horsepower race engine crank up at three o'clock in the morning load it up on the trailer be at the track at eight break it come back work on it all week do the same thing over and over (laughs) again so just that drive of wanting wanting to go out and compete and all that and just being around my dad and some of the things I learned. But uh, Six Seconds, Six Days, which was recorded with uh, Whiskey Foxtrot, uh, that was on the album uh, Turn Off the Headlights, or no, uh, Hard Lines and Headlights, and you can find that one. But that that's a song that is, I guess, it's got that heavy stuff. It's got a bit of that uh, culture wall-ish, you know, that kind of, I don't know, that uh, Southern Gothic, that's what a good friend of mine mm-hmm. referred to some stuff like a Southern Gothic thing. It's deep and dark. But then I have songs like Carolina where it's just talking about going out, playing music, being out of state. And then as you a musician yourself, you could probably imagine there's nothing else you want when you're five, six days into a trip and playing music that you just want to lay your head back down in your own bed, chill yeah. out. And so that, there's songs like that where it's kind of upbeat and, and stuff, but... I don't know, like I said, I touched on a lot of different different genres because that's what I grew up around listening. So I think it comes out subconsciously through, sure. through whether it be a riff or lyrically, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is a realm that, you know, I do my best to try to learn from other people about. And it's it's always difficult because there's not like the magic of what you do, the magic of what songwriters do doesn't require really any explanation or justification or whatever yes but still there's this fun thing about i wonder like wondering you know what your perspective is and part of that might be what do you think you know as you were talking about sort of identifying the difference between a song that's really you versus a song that's like a some other persona or some other nonsense yeah what do you think some of those attributes are that are that are a part of your approach to art you know that are a part of what you do i think uh, for me like um as i mentioned that song six seconds six days it's got a lot of mentioning of uh of certain automotive aspects and stuff and i try to get as creative with a word and describing a situation because uh in fact me and ivan ivan yarber he's another guitar player and my sister's boyfriend we were talking and and sometimes it's hard to explain but when i'm when a song is being listened to or I'm playing or however, or whichever side you're on, whether you're a viewer and a listener or you're playing it, there's, for me, there's a movie in my head that's playing. Mm. And there, it's like, it, no, no matter what, whether it's a song I've written, a cover song, or I'm listening to it, the same movie happens with the same song. Like Each song has its own pictures and, and things. So when I write, I try to give that person that perspective of like what's here's the movie that's playing in my head, here's what I'm seeing, how descriptive can I be in portraying that image and 
give them their own image of what's playing in their head to mm. give them more of a because I think that's what I connect with when I listen to a song and what catches me is sometimes it's my own thinking that puts a cool image in my head it's like I want to see that image again so I listen to that song again and just get that and that comes out in artwork and things like that so it's it's for me it's putting as descriptive of a picture in someone's head and that's kind of how I like to uh, approach it you know Oh yeah, <laughs> you're speaking my language. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, it's I, I so prefer and so appreciate like the visual aspect of this stuff. I've not actually heard anybody, I don't think, describe it as a movie in a movie that they're seeing. But yeah. I think that's like a really perfect description of it. You remember those? Uh, the well, oh gosh, the viewcaster viewfinder. Like you look through it, and it's got the pictures on the wheel, and you go, and then the next pit, and then you see the next. That's kind of like what happens, but every time that. That verse or a different chorus comes around, a big thing plays, and then just a, a scene like of that per- certain thing plays, and then the chorus comes back around, and bam, that scene of the chorus, and then boom. It, it, that's it's, it's honestly how I see it, and that's how I like remember songs sometimes. Yeah, is I'm playing it, and I've, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've had like my heart almost skip a beat, going, "Oh gosh, I don't know the lyric." Or like, oh man, I can't remember. And I'll play the previous little thing in my head. It's like, all right, I was here by the riverbank, da 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 da. Oh shoot, I'm crossing this. Okay, all right. And then I just start singing about the image that's in my head, and I'll go, oh yeah, no kidding. That's that's what it was. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying, man. Uh, there, I, I tell people a lot. If you knew what insanity went on in my head while I'm performing, oh man, my gosh, you yeah, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. And that goes back to you know, you're worried about well. What's the crowd like? What, how did you learn, man? I, the la- I, I don't mean it in a rude way. The last thing I'm thinking about is what that person thinks about me or how I look. And yeah. that and it. Man, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm in here. I'm I'm in here, and I'm trying to cast out what's in here to everybody in the room. And yeah. that, that I feel like as a musician, that's your job. You know, that's if you're a creative person and you've written this story and you have that movie in your head or however it is for you, that's your job as the musician and artist and the creative person to show everybody else and to, to get a, your point across. And I think that's a thing that's completely and utterly lost with all that commercial stuff mm-hmm. or, or anything. And you can tell, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of new music and genres that I love and it feel, and I like those things and, because it feels real and it feels like that artist is for doing that job and you can and for me i feel like i got a pretty good radar of that that person's just up there for a paycheck or that person's up there because a person in a suit told them to be yeah or there's a person in a suit that told this person this is going to sell like and and it i i can meet i can't do it i disconnect quick yeah <laughs> i disconnect real quick but when i see that person as someone who does that job I, when I see that person doing that job, I'm like, I like that guy. I like that girl. I like this band. I like what they're doing. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can, for me, I feel like I got a pretty good radar of like, that, that's cool. I like what they're doing. <laughs> that line that you're describing is so visible and it's interesting because we, we know, we know that that exists and we know that yeah. there's like a, there's a decision you can make as an artist if you're given the, the option, you know, if the industry sort of opens that door for you to yeah. say, all right, like now you can be one of these artists that kind of prioritizes mass appeal in this yeah. way that sacrifices certain what we might think of as like 
levels of integrity or something. Right, yeah. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad knowing this about the industry and being on this side of it and being on the side that's like, I, I you know, like loving people like Towns or like Guy Clark or whatever and, and kind of knowing the fate of those guys. Yeah. Even John Prine, like knowing the limit that is like on his level of commercial success. Yeah. With his level of talent compared to like those song factory performers that we... Right, yeah, and you know, I don't bat. And uh, if my thing, if somebody worked hard and they got into that level where they they take that on, it's like as some and they and I know of them or I've kind of seen their journey or know of their journey of they come from that camp of working hard, grinding it out, and getting it there. Man, I, I am a full ambassador of taking every opportunity you can to to level up to get to that point where you want to go. And it's cool because I've, I've Feel like I've seen that with like Forty Nine Winchester here recently. Yeah, I mean, I, I played a couple shows with them and hung out with those guys. They're the realest dudes I've ever seen, and now they're out there playing the Grand Ole Opry. They're over there in Europe. You see somebody like Job Mother Mary, who's another band who's just grinded it out, and now they're you know selling out places out out of the country, and that's it's incredible. They're you know I I fully support that, but. Yeah, you know, when I was talking about that kind of corporate thing, I wasn't talking about people like that. You know, sure, I'm talking sure. about talking about the dude that comes up there in chains with a big old chain <laughs> on, and he's talking about his truck and this, that, and the other. And when you're all right, <laughs> when you're seeing, when you call yourself a country artist and you're doing this stuff, yeah, I disconnect. <laughs> well, another thing about <laughs> like uh, like like when we talk about real experiences, this I, I keep harping on this. I've said this probably four times on this show, and. I will say it until <laughs> until someone understands how important it is. It's I, I was listening to Jason Aldean talking on a on a radio interview. Yeah. How, and they were like, so Jason Aldean, I don't know what they made him what made them ask him this, but they were like, Do you mow your own yard? And he was like, No, nah, I pay somebody to do that. And I'm like <laughs> I'm like, You have a song about a tractor. Like, I know, man. Like, come on. It's like, just it's it's on. just so glaringly hilarious to to put on the persona of like farm boy. But like, yeah. not mow your own damn yard. Uh, not yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, do you know your deck height? What do you What do you do for the backyard? Do you do that for the front yard too? It's like, man, come on, man. <laughs> Golly, you can't tell me the difference between a Kubota and a John Deere. Damn, it is funny. It is <laughs> you bush funny. hog out over there. <laughs> Golly, yeah. yeah, I know, and that, I think that goes back to that. The writing of the genuine thing and putting that movie in your head, because you, you know that it's unfortunate. But Jason Aldean will never be—I I will say never—but you know, people like that, I feel like have stepped out so far. Where if they genuinely tried, it, it, it's going to take a lot to get back to that point. You know? Yeah. And and I always try that's just staying true to what that is. And you know, I got I've got some songs that are kind of wild and out there and that are different, but it's it's that creative thing in my head that if I didn't get it out, I would probably go crazy and insane. So, you know, there's some stuff that is off the wall and it sounds crazy, but it's, like I said, just the mix of influences and the things that I listen to that just subconsciously or consciously just come back out into this. And back to that movie thing, that's, you know... I feel like it's just your job to put that movie and creative thing in other people's head and project that out. Yeah, what I love about that too is like the 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 visual component. Like, the, I don't believe that this was always. It's it's. I think it's waned and waxed throughout music. Like sometimes music has been visual in the way that lyrics have been written, 
But when I think of stuff from like the 20s and stuff, you get a lot of description. You get a lot mm-hmm. of like dancing, like cheek, cheek, cheek. Like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a description yeah. of sort of a fact. Mm-hmm. It's like a description of a fact. But it seems like since since the 60s and like kind of since Bob Dylan, since folk music uh, became part of part of the culture that I, I don't know if that was when it happened but uh, all I'm saying is like in our genre of music uh, like scenery scenery being part of it and like small yeah. minute details being part of songwriting uh, I think makes songs way more that way more cinematic and beautiful and yeah. visual and stimulating in the mind yeah know? and because like I said I'll, I will listen to a song and I'll get three quarters of the way through, but then something will be said that will project that image or like an unforgettable just how descriptive or even just the way something was played. And that will make me return to that song. So I try to incorporate as many of those moments and those aspects into an original song, mm. whether it be from guitar or a lyric or how even pulling back and letting the drums do something or letting this piano part play. It, it's all about, I hate keep repeating myself, it's all about playing that movie and what is best for the song and getting that, the idea and the creative thing across to the, the viewer and the, and the listener. Yeah. How many times, like once you, once you get that thing written and it's done, well, one, first before I ask that, is it done? Like, is it like, <laughs> do you, are, like some people are like, oh, a song's never done. Some people are like, once I write the last word, I don't change it anymore. Where do you fall on that? I, I, I guess I'm on the fence about that one because like I said, I've got songs that taken a year, year and a half to write and I got songs that will take 30 minutes and once the pen hits the table, it's over. Gotcha. Uh, but there's some songs where, back to that, making sure it's, getting that point across i'll be like wait can i say something different here it's like yes i'm describing this that's an okay line but is there something that's affecting this line that is up here that maybe if i change this thing what happens here you know there's there's some aspects you can do to ensure that it is doing doing the job and getting that creative thing across so always make sure that you know it's not finely polished or nothing or it's just that it's I'm happy with it and that yes this is the best thing I can say or yes this is the best thing I can play whether it be the most complicated riff and solo you ever heard or it's that one chord to go like you know I need to pull back and go here or I got too much going on in this line let me just erase start over or just take out a couple words or add you know there's there's little things I like to do to make sure that the song is tuned and as good as it can be mm-hmm. it don't have to be complicated or complex it's just like what's the best it can be so i always try to ensure that okay so w- once you've got that movie kind of written in your mind uh how long of a process are you looking at before you feel like it's memorized what does that look like for you it that's one of those things that happens off the bat so it might be that that when it's first written, it's the it's that movie playing in my head. It might be a similar scene, but that scene might change with the, with the word change or the riff or something. So, it and that it it changes and it doesn't that move that movie in my head uh, for each original song. But um, the big aspect from when it changes sometimes is 
I can have it, the, the structure, the bones, the frame of it laid out, and then I take it to the guys, Mitch Hull and Brad Cardeal, their uh, bass player and drummer. You play with Mitch? Mitch Hull, yes, sir. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love Mitch, man. Okay. He's the one, he's the, they, unfortunately, he, Mitch, hope you're well by this comes out, but oh. yeah, he broke his hand, yeah. That's <laughs> Mitch. That I is the Mitch. that. Yeah, man, so, yeah, I, I uh, but when when the song is taken to them or, or or taken to the full band aspect, sometimes that's when the when some big changes can come because especially musically, obviously, uh, and the movie may change or that image may change in my head a little bit because uh, Brad Cardiel, uh since the Whiskey Foxtrot days, which is a crazy story how I met him, we put out a thing on Craigslist of all places looking for a bass player. And Brad Cardiel showed up, and man, he. Ever since then, I've been like this musically, friendship-wise, everything with Brad, and I trust his full, one hundred percent musical friendship, whatever opinion of anything. And uh, he's one every one of the top-notch musicians I could ever work with. And when I get a song to him, I'm not afraid when he goes, "All right, let's dissect this thing." You know, he'll take it all apart and look at everything because that's just the way his mind works. And I'm so glad I got somebody like him in my corner because I think that needs to happen. Much like you're building a car or you're building a bike or whatever you're building, you put it together and take it all back apart, refine it, put it back together. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what we do with a song when we get to the full band. And that's when some things can seriously flip around or change or take out or add to. Um, and when it gets to there, that's when it gets exciting and and things can develop and, and that's when we really focus on, okay, how's what's the best this song can be? What needs to happen with this song or what doesn't need to happen now? So when it gets to that point, I start to get excited and because and, uh, I trust both those guys' opinions of one full 100%. I'm not afraid for them to take it 100% apart and just go, all right, you know what? This doesn't need to happen. I'd be like, all right, cool. Let's go. <laughs> you know, speaking of like speaking of your experience and knowledge with like something like cars and the way that I've learned today that that's <laughs> yeah. a part of that 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 also is a realm of creativity, I think, and and create creativity within the confines of competence too, I guess. Right. Uh, like you know what you're doing, you've learned through this process. So a lot of don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, <laughs> so it's a lot of trial and error. Sometimes. Trial and error. A little touch and go. That's I mean, <laughs> still creative and the bravery, I guess, involved with that. Right. Is would you say? I, I'm reading Rick Rubin's book right now. Have you start? Have you read that yet? No, I haven't. Uh, you really should. Um, it's uh, not just you. I mean, I, I would recommend it to most the artists because it's just it's something pretty special. Um, he he talks. It's called the Creative Act, and it's a lot about kind of a lifestyle of creativity. Um, and I get the sense from you maybe that creativity extends beyond music for you. You can tell me if that's right or not. But. Oh, absolutely, man. Where Absolutely. where all is it for you? Is it everywhere? It, it a little yeah, a little bit everywhere. Um, I grew up with my with my uncle. He was an artist, so you know, family gets togethers. I would always be seeing what he was painting, and uh, and my grandma on my dad's side, uh, his mom, she she can paint and do anything from clay to painting on those old uh, cheese wheel baskets, you know, like the big boxes she would paint and have like these beautiful flowers and, and ornate looking things. And so 
going over to their house as a kid, piece of paper, crayons, whatever would come out and, you know, start drawing and whatnot. And so ever since I could hold a, a pencil or pen, I've been drawing and painting. And uh, a lot of that contributes to those movies that you see in your head, whether it be like, I feel like this is a uh, audio thing that needs to come out in a song, or no, I need to get this across and show people that this is this is what's in my head, mm-hmm. or create that thing that's in your head. So I've been painting for, I've been seriously painting for the last maybe five or six years and finally getting to the point where I feel confident enough like to develop prints and things like that. Prints? Yeah. And, and and luckily, sister being a photographer, she can take high quality good pictures of the of the actual original, send them off, have them printed and available on my website. Actually, on my music website, jswmusicnc.com. Okay. So you're, you're, dabble, you're stepping into the world of visual art as well. Yeah. Any other, like, do you do any other forms of writing or, or any other creative, creative outlets? Uh, it's really just uh, music and art for right now. Um, I mean, you seem kind of fashionable, and you got a cool fashionable? band. Fashionable? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like your I'm, boots. Oh, thanks, man. I think they're uh, Laredo. No, Ariat. I got another pair of Laredos at the house. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Coming from that, like I mentioned, uh, that era of listening to Led Zeppelin and the late 60s, early 70s stuff, if I could just buy a whole warehouse of just Levi bell-bottom jeans, I think I'd be happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't find no decent boot-cut jeans for nothing, especially in my height. But yeah. I like uh, I like all that old vintage stuff uh, when it comes to fashion stuff. I like, I like that. Tell me about that. Oh, gosh. I mean, obviously you like Led Zeppelin, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what... I, what why vintage clothes uh i don't know well i think again going back to that thing of it's your job to uh project what's in your head to a crowd and be as creative and and get a point across uh i think it comes back into those interests and things that interest me is that's what those dudes were wearing i like you know i, I want to look like uh Hank Williams Jr., whatever, mixed with Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and all that stuff. I want to take everything that influences me and, like, you have to, to me at least, you got to establish some type of visual thing that goes along with your sound. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what I grew I grew up around cowboy boots and, and jeans and belt buckles, but also, you know, I'll wear a vest that's got a, you know, black flag or Black Sabbath big logo on the black back of it or something, you know? Yeah. So just mixing it all together and, and doing that, and that's just the stuff that interests me and, and, and what I like. And I think it's good as, I think, you know, step out in the world and feel confident in what you're in or whatever. You know, that, that's a big part of it, too. You know, I don't want to feel like a dweeb on stage. Right. <laughs> I don't think nobody does. No, definitely not. <laughs> do, do you think that visual aspect of it, which also sounds like a creative outlet for you, do you think that that, uh, that adds to the folks ability to kind of be immersed in that movie i think so i think so um you know i mean i would hate to go i mean i I think of it like this you know i'd hate to go see led zeppelin back in what mid-70s and then he uh jimmy page wasn't in his so-so suit you know the big dragon suit it'd kind of be disappointing so you (laughs) know or to not see ozzy osbourne wearing some big giant bat wing looking thing on stage you know and he's <laughs> so you know i've never thought about that but if ozzy came out in like sweatpants yeah 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 you that'd be gotta, distracting as hell right right yeah yeah so i think it's a, i think that's an important thing which luckily i learned 
I learned that from my mom, like, thank goodness, because she grew up, you know, obviously being 15, 16, I couldn't go and book my own shows and, and play at the bar by myself. I had to have somebody, you know, at least help me get there and do that stuff. So she would look at me and go, hey, you know, you might ought to think about a little something better than just your regular little tennis shoes and this, that, and the other on stage. It might help. And it is as, as, as crazy as it is, it does help. You get it. I think it's, uh, I was talking to a friend the other night about this i think it helps back to that mental thing of stepping on stage and doing your job it you're putting on that stuff that uh that helps you perform and you get in that mental state you know i think it's just a part of because you know i got work clothes you got uh day-to-day clothes but you know you got those certain shirts that you save up for that show or whatever it's like i can't get that one dirty i can't be working in that shirt <laughs> so you know when i put on that shirt you put on that thing it's like you you're suited up. You're there to do the job. You know, you, you, would you trust your banker if he come in in sweatpants and, you know, a Grateful Dead t-shirt? Right. I'm not going to trust that guy with my money. Right. Am I going to do the same thing when that guy steps up on stage and he's about to say, hey, I'm going to play da-da-da-da-da songs? Like, you don't, no, nah, man, I don't know about all that. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, look the part, dress for the job you want. So I think it kind of comes back to that, you know. But be, again, I've seen Billy Strings play in giant Elton John-style sunglasses, and that's a part of it, too. It's just yeah. a part of, it's a, it's a part of uh, owning, I guess, your brand. Owning your brand. Yeah, he's figured out something different. because he. Tapped do. into something incredible. Yeah. I love that dude. I guess yeah. that's something I'd go and I'd get on a motorcycle and follow Billy Strings everywhere. I'd go see him everywhere, dude. That's that's something I'd love to do. But yeah, that's somebody who I'm definitely influenced by. He is such an interesting artist because he is in that world of acoustic music and even bluegrass. But yeah. like, yeah, can dress like a like a hippie deadhead. Can put on a show like a deadhead. It's such a it's such a hard to explain combination of it tastes. Is. You know? It is. I think for somebody that hasn't seen him, if you have the opportunity and you like him, go see him because it's the experience of listening and the experience of seeing is two totally different things with him, especially now where he's in the ability to put on big light shows or play big outdoor amphitheaters or play those small, big. Actually, I saw him at the Greensboro Coliseum. Right. I mean, that was an experience. And to. Where you're used to going somewhere like Greensboro Coliseum and seeing a big band up on stage and giant big speakers, this, that, and the other. Man, it's like your local bluegrass band. It's the upright bass, mandolin, banjo, and mm-hmm. Billy. I mean, that's, that's what's up there. And it's a massive wall of sound that's created. And it's just incredible, man. I, a Billy Strang show is incredible. He's another one of those people that it's, you know, when you talk to people... I've talked to people who have said, you know, oh, you're a you're a songwriter or whatever. You're a, you're you're an acoustic musician. You're not the type of person who is going to have a certain level of success. And then you look at him, or you mm-hmm. look at Tyler Childers, and you're like, fuck off. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, look at what is possible. And like, I don't know, Cody Jinks, all, all those cats, man. And then somebody like, man, talk about a show. I, I luckily I got to see him before the big I guess what you would say the pop off. I don't want to sound like a pompous asshole or nothing, mm-hmm. but I got to see him as he was turning into this guy was Paul Cawthon. Got to see him in Charlotte. I'm actually and not familiar with him. Dude, Paul Cawthon, man, check him out. He is an incredible, credible artist. He is Johnny Cash mixed with Elvis, mixed with 
oh my gosh just i mean every it, it's it's incredible his show is awesome i got to see him in charlotte i can't remember the venue but they had two stages and he played on the smaller stage and that room was packed with people and he played that one and man now he's just out there of course exploding and, and playing all over the place but uh for those that don't know paul cawthon check him out there's that's a show. That's another one of those. Listening is one thing. Seeing is another mm-hmm. with him. And he's he's one of those. He puts on this. He puts on his outfit. He puts on his work clothes and goes up there and does the work and does his job. Man, he he come out in a uh, rhinestone looking suit thing with lightning bolts all over it and and sunglasses and the big hat and and man, he was on it. He's somebody that is on. It's like the big. It's like a big movement. It seems in in art, and it, I don't know if it's in art, but in in the Americana roots, grass worlds, yeah. country, alt country, it's like the pageantry of it seems to have increased just recently, and in a in a pretty cool way. I mean, yeah. I kind of like all that shit. I kind of like what everybody. I doing. dig that. Yeah, I like that. I like that. When somebody's got a look and you identify, you can identify with like Charlie Crockett. I mean, you see him with that big old ten gallon hat and. Then you'd see him playing in like a New York substation. That just that's a, that visual is just a cool looking. It's just a cool looking thing, and I think it's a part of putting that with something that you know you can't forget an image that will stay with people. You know? Yeah. Hey girl, well, you can have some energy drink if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know she don't need it. She's she's energized. <laughs> hey girl. Any artists that uh, any other artists come to mind that you can say that you you did you're digging right now. Well, definitely um, two bands that are influencing my sound, I guess you could say right now, is um, a band called Truck Fighters and another band called King Buffalo. Uh, Truck Fighters is an old, uh, I won't say old, but um, super heavy stoner doom type uh, band from Sweden, and they've been around for a little while, but man, there's somebody I can drive down the road and listen to nonstop. They got they got those long instrumental sounding songs, you know, about nine, ten minute songs. And I, I love I love stuff like that where the guitar's fuzzed out, compressed and feeding back and, you know, you just had to have a ride it like a wild bull kind of mm-hmm. thing. I love songs like that. And then um a a band that me and Brad or Brad and I have been really getting into is uh King Buffalo where it's they create these more soundscape type deals more like festivals kind of sound stuff um, where it's just a big big soundscape and lots of echo used and like I said that guitar that that is just on the air verge of exploding and you just you having to ride the ride the distortion wave on it but uh, bands like that I've been really getting into and have seeped into that creativity thing of when I pick up a guitar it's like Sometimes that sound just starts to come out, and you just take that pedal and maybe turn it up a few more notches, or you take that bass tone on the amp and go, "Well, see how heavy it can go," you know. Mm-hmm. So I've been getting into some stuff like that, and some of those lyrics are a little more, um, a little more fantasy-like. But with that, it kind of opens the door to, for me at least, when I try to, when I don't try to, but uh, when you write songs that are that heavy. I'm still putting in those influences and things like that from my own experiences, but I feel like there's a little more openness of creativity and doing that thing of the descriptive thing. How descriptive can I get with it? Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's a realm I really like being in right now is that 
that kind of stuff. But yet again, I'll you know rip around on a baritone full blast distortion, and then I'll put that down and pick up a Martin guitar and start playing like Tony Rice riffs. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, there's that ping pong thing of back and forth and and just going going all over the place. But that's the kind of stuff I've been diving into recently. You know, when I first saw your set, or I guess I, I should say, I mean, as a as an eclect as a as a person as a music lover with an eclectic taste, it doesn't surprise me. But uh, for some, the outside looking in, if, I wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if somebody was surprised that you have a taste for like heavy music. Oh, absolutely, man! Absolutely. Does that go back pretty far? It, yeah, it kind of goes back into that you know that young and rebellious type of thing of wanting. Because, you know, you grow, me growing around bluegrass, you know, sometimes it gets a little monotonous. You know, there is a monotonous thing to bluegrass. So it's like, what's totally opposite of it? Oh, songs like, or bands like ACDC, Black Sabbath, and all those great, you know, gods of the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s, you know? So, and Jimi Hendrix, obviously, back in the 60s when it all started to blossom out. But, yeah, so having those kind of early foundations as far as the heavy stuff to go and listen to... Uh, I, I dig all that stuff and then I don't know man uh, I, I love driving and listening to music that's that's something I really love and those those bands I mis- mentioned uh, I think it just comes from just I, th- I mean thank God for like St- Spotify Discover Weekly because yeah. half the bands I'm into now I would never know of yeah. because of that of those stations and stuff and I think it just I started listening to heavier stuff and then it just piled onto itself so i've got like five six years worth of super heavy stuff i've been listening to now that's like that has seeped into my playing because i mean i'm just driving around in my van just blasting that stuff as loud as my little portable speaker on the dash can go (laughs) (laughs) so and you know that's what some friends and i listen to you know and we get around we show each other songs last night we were uh they were like, man, have you heard this band? It's like, no, look at this album cover, and it's a big wizard on top of a mountain with a staff, and he's fighting off a dragon holding a guitar, some mm. wild-looking stuff, and we, we love that. I love that kind of stuff. So, you know, and sometimes we were just like, I love the album cover art, and I had to listen to the song, and I think that goes back. Visuals. Yeah. Giving the people, you know. Consistency. Consistency, looking the, looking the part, doing the job, and I think that comes with... Uh, album cover stuff too you know <laughs> she's having fun yeah I think you're dead on man and it also makes me think about your van like your van is a part of that it seems like not maybe not an intentionally artistic thing but yeah <laughs> you seem to like live this life of things that the things are I'm putting this totally on you by saying this no, no. <laughs> I'm getting the impression that you like having things around you that uh, inspire that yeah. sort of relationship you have with art absolutely absolutely uh I since I was uh gosh since I learned that vans were a thing you know you get into learning about vans it's like well they toured around in a van you know it's like well that that thing looks pretty cool and there's a great picture of a motorhead back in like golly probably sometime in like the late 70s early 80s and they're standing in front of a, a Chevy G20 van with a big old bumper guard on it. It's all flat black, and Lemmy's just standing there cross-armed, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's a cool-looking visual. So, you know, rock and roll, loud music, and vans. You got to have a way to get around, you know? So yeah. seeing that, it's like, oh, that's cool. And then being a, 
somewhat of a musician starting to go out and branch out. It's like, man, I want, I want a van, you know? It's like, you got the bed in the back. You can do this, that, and the other. Load up your equipment and haul around your buddies. And so since I, like, that's what I wanted my first car to be. Unfortunately, it was a 94 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Mm-hmm. But I treated it like a van, folded down the back seat, air mattress in the back. <laughs> like, I camped out of that thing forever. Yeah. But finally saved up enough money and uh, bought a high-top G20 conversion van. And me and my dad, we can't leave well enough alone, so we made it four-wheel drive. <laughs> and I like drew, drove around going to shows in this jacked-up four-wheel drive van for a, for a while. And then, then I sold that one and finally got the dream I always wanted was a, a, a Chevy G10, Chevy Shorty. Mm. And so I found an old uh, Bell South work van. You remember those? <laughs> like, so around here in North Carolina, it was a bunch of Bell South vans, and they were always little, little Chevy Shorties. And it had two yellow, big yellow and blue stripes down the side, windows on one side, panel on the other. Mm. And uh, I found one with no motor in it, no transmission, basically blew up. And it's the only vehicle I had to pressure wash from the inside out because it was like moss and all types of stuff growing in it. And I bought it for like $400 and took it home and had a motor I'd been saving, put that motor in it, put the transmission from like a 1970 C10 in it. And that's the van that's actually in your driveway right now. <laughs> I drove it here. So, but you know, and then of course, not having a huge budget, I was like, well, I can spend about two grand, $2,500 in body filler and paint and this, that, and the other, make it nice. Or I can spend about $200 in flapper disc, a grinder, and some clear coat and take it down to bare metal and then clear coat it. So that's, that's what I did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, being into the heavy music. I love Mad Max, so I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, just make it into a Mad Max van. So that's that's my daily driver. <laughs> I love that. Man. So, you know, it, it all goes back into, like, the heavy music, this, that, and the other, driving around, camping with your buddies, mm-hmm. and, and being in the shop, doing creative stuff. And musically, it all just recycles itself and comes out in the speakers. <laughs> I mean, I do think that it's kind of hard to avoid living a life where... where like like other people's cars in, influence the way that they feel about their relationship with everything else around them, you know, or the, yeah. their relationship with driving around uh, wherever they are. Yeah. And for for a lot of people, it's just it just happens to be that I think that's a passive thing. It's a passive mentality about uh, how you whatever how you it's get around. It's more of a tool for A to B. You yeah. Know? And I and, say, feel like a lot of people see it that way, which is fine. And like it doesn't have to be creative, and it doesn't have to be uh, you know inspiring or whatever, but. Yeah. I think it's badass to take that much ownership of the the aesthetic aspect, I guess, or the visual aspect, and also the the personal aspect. Like, I mean, I and also there's really a, a romantic idea about for somebody like me who don't know shit about cars. <laughs> there's a romantic idea about being able to build one, being able to put a motor in a car, and it, all that. It's, it is a love hate relationship that sometimes takes a while, but like, I mean, you know, you when you when you care that much about it, and you go from that that you know buying just a body basically and building it up to something that you can turn key have confidence in and and drive every day you know that that that's a process and you know it it, it is all material things you know the one thing i obviously care about is if friends family that's that's the biggest main thing in my life but there with all that's being said i have a lot of automotive friends and 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 guys that build choppers and bikes and, and vans and stuff. And it, I mean, we all can 
confidently say it's it's like putting your soul into it and so it, it has its own soul that's a part of you because it takes that long process to do it yourself you know you didn't just go out to a car lot and buy it you know yeah. or you didn't just have a restorer do it for you it's like no you took your took your own dime and did it and and making the best of what you have to get it on the road which is my situation <laughs> if it was if i wasn't buying guitars and all this other stuff i might have been able to make it a little nicer might have been able to have an actual interior instead of busting up wood pallets in my driveway to put wood walls in it you know <laughs> right. but you know that's the kind of stuff you can write songs about exactly so, you know a little bit of sweat and blood ain't ain't nothing <laughs> i love it man so what is uh what's on the horizon for your music career do you feel like um what do you want to be on the horizon? What do you want to do? I would love just to get in the studio more and create more that way and the fruits of that labor come back and, and the opportunities that come out of that pursue those. I have long, long conversations with Brad about stuff like that. You know, he's he's been doing this a long time and has done it every other way it you could imagine. And so, like, he's got the experience to know, hey, this works. Hey, this doesn't. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. And and me and him just talk about it. It's like, man, just, just creation. Just creating the music, finding your audience, and going to that audience. So I'd, I'd love to get in the studio more and, and just create as much as possible. And then at least have some sort of... Because after that, you know, you can start setting goals and, and things like that. But that's where I that's where I'm at. I just want to create as much as possible and put out as much as possible in the studio as far as music. What's your what's your relationship with the studio like? Like when you go in there now or when you have gone in there, what's um are you going in there with fully formed ideas or is that a creative space for you to sometimes uh you know, when you book that time, I feel like it's something you shouldn't waste. So I come in there and it's like, well, be ready as possible. But uh, with Benji, Benji Johnson over at Earth Tone Studios, I love working with him. He's luckily he's a super laid back dude and he is also super creative as well. So I would say if you are recording or you have somebody like find somebody that just is, is just as creative as you are. Because there's been times where I went in there and, and gone overtime, but we were making something, the song, as best as it could be. And sometimes that requires a little extra steps, and sometimes that requires coming up with stuff on the fly. But that's what I love about it, because it's so, it's so fun, and it's cool to see that movie from your head come out like audio and just blast at you in the speakers and it's like man what if we added this little thing and all those little nuances that might grab someone's attention or that grab my attention as a player and a singer it's like we i love that process and sometimes that when you have a well-formed idea i've had those just ah, screw it go out the window we got we got to do this now it's like something will happen and we go down that trail so it's a little bit of a little bit of both i've gone in there with solid plans and i've gone in there where Plans just went out the window, <laughs> and what's happening in that moment is the best for the song. And that's what we pursue. Yeah. Where do these movies? Do you, what can you tell me about where these movies? Like, like maybe your more recent days of any recent songs you've written, where they kind of start for you, and when you know one's happening, you know what that's like. I don't know. I guess it's it starts as basically like a. It could start as a riff. It could start as a lyric. Um, 
And it could start as just a picture or that image in my head itself of just describing something or, you know, uh, just trying to get that creative thing out of my head. But um, a lot of times it, it does happen lyrically where I'll just rattle off something in a melody. I don't even know what. And I'll just rattle off a line in a melody and go, I got to, I got to get that. I got to capture that. And a lot of times it's just a, it's a starting point or a launch pad. It's like, well, I had this riff. Let's see if it'll fit with that riff. Oh, it does. Or no, it doesn't. It feels like it needs to go this direction. It needs to feel like it, you know, so I'll have that lyric or whatever. And it's like, well, this feels like it needs to be heavy. So let me drop tune the guitar. Or this feels like it needs to be kind of fast and light. So let me figure something out. But usually it's, it's lyrically and I can get a lot of direction from from that alone of well this needs to happen in order to make the to uh go along and fit well with the lyric you know so lyrically is is a lot and that like i said that's important to me so when i have a line that goes oh that's descriptive it sticks out it feels like something i want to listen to so I, I try to capture it quick yeah i have the same like i think our, our intuitions are pretty similar when it comes to the the spawn the spontaneity of some of those times where you have something and you just kind of yeah throw something at the wall see if it stays yeah <laughs> uh, and sometimes it like for me uh, for an, an instinct that i tend to follow or practice i follow is like once i have one that won't let me stop doing it That's you know it. i always am like all right then you're what i'm building the song out of whether i like it or not and i don't know what the hell it's gonna be but yeah yeah know, it'll just be some phrase that wants to be in that melody yeah and know? sometimes you can't break out of that it's like oh man i want to go down this street let me see what's there it's like no you need to go this direction and it's like and sometimes i can't like you said you can't break out of that yeah and and, and it's like well, i guess that's direct and that's where the year comes from like well i didn't finish it today man i'll finish it tomorrow or Maybe hopefully another line will come to me. And that perfect line, like months later, when you're riding down the road or you're in the shower, you're working on this thing, it's like, God, no wonder, you idiot. You could have said this. And then I got to <laughs> grab a piece of paper and write it down. Then finally that song, because like I said, it comes back to that forcing. It's like I don't want to force it to where it feels fake because then it feels like, well, that was just a filler line to get me to the next thing or yeah. hopefully maybe get me to the next step. And it's like I have a few of those moments, and that's when those – those filler lines sometimes they're the first thing to go when the song's kind of done yeah but but yeah man sometimes it's like you can't you can't force it and and that's where sometimes the year weight comes mm -hmm. in and it's like you, like i said riding down the road and you I've, I've slammed on brakes before luckily nobody behind me but i have literally slammed on brakes before and i pulled in in fact it was on the way to madison one time and it kind of it, it was just lyrics at the time and it was more like a poem-esque type thing. And, man, it had been raining like hell. And, <laughs> I'd, and I was, like, going 55 down this back road. And all of a sudden, I'm just humming to myself and humming this melody, whatever. I had a set of lines, and I was just humming those lines with that melody, and I said something. I was like, da-da-da-da-da, something about a road, or whatever. And I was like, that is it. And there was a church, a little white church. And I, I slammed on brakes. The front end locked up, and I had to let off. The front end locked up. And it was so muddy and rainy, I, I basically drove, drove my van through a ditch. And it went through this huge mud puddle and splashed mud all up on the side and whatnot. And I was scrambling around inside the van. I knew I had an art pad because I, I would draw all the time. And I took a piece of nice art paper and just 
wham, right out of there, yeah. all jagged and ripped. And I started writing right in there in that church parking lot. Luckily, it was there. I probably were glad that uh, when I left, because I think it was Sunday service, uh, they probably just saw this van screeching to a halt <laughs> and then pulling in this parking lot. What is this dude doing? So I wrote it down real quick, watching people get out. I was like, all right, it's time to go. Slam it reverse yep. and then left. But that I did... Sometimes that happens, and when it happens, you just need to grab it and, and take it from there. That's one of is a line from one of my newest songs, and uh, one that Brad, Mitch, and I have been working on. So that that'll hopefully be out soon. I know <laughs> what you mean, man. I, I can't tend to keep like lyric sheets like that, and I've uh, I've got a little collection of them downstairs, and not just like construction paper or cardboard, but I've written on like greasy paper plates. Yeah, you know? man. <laughs> I like, you gotta grab it now. I wrote a song called San Antonio and I remember that one. It was just like lightning bolt in my head and I was, I didn't have time to no. take 30 seconds to like try to find a piece of paper. I just had to grab a paper plate that was already on my desk and write the chorus down on there before it was gone. Yeah. It's like, man, I got this razor blade and a nice wall. I'm just going to scratch it in there. That way I can look at it and then it's there. Yeah, no, man. That's, that's the worst. And it, or the worst is to have that and then not have one damn pen that writes. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've done that in a damn cheap-ass ballpoint pen. That's why I always carry nice art pens with me. Mm-hmm. I, I will use an art pen till the day I die to write a song. It's all nice and whatever looking, but... Man, I, I'll, I'll use it. <laughs> I'll ask you a kind of open-ended question. Are you in control of songs that you write? Uh, that's a good question. It, I think you are and you're not. Or at least for me, I am, but I'm not at the same time because that, that window of time to capture it, it, it sometimes doesn't feel like you, you know? But I think you ultimately, the song tells you where to go. So, you know, I think you listen to the song and you contribute as much as you personally can to your best ability to the song. But that's when that year wait sometimes comes in. It's like, what's going to be the best for it or what's it got to be? So I think it's a little bit of both. It's the song telling you where to go and you contributing as much as you can to the song to, to get it there. Yeah, that's uh, another piece, another piece of mentality, I guess, from the Rubin book that that I appreciate a lot is. The idea of being a vessel for the thing, yeah. the thing that tells stories. And yeah. maybe that's true. Maybe maybe we're more than that. I don't know how to understand it. But I've noticed that the less control I try to have over songs, it seems like the more productive it is, the, yeah. more, the more they happen. Yeah. The more I think the more restraint you put on yourself, the more roadblocks you put for yourself, I think it limits anything coming coming at you because you, you never know because you don't want to say well it sounds like this so i think i need to keep it this way or whatever uh, you, you want to be as open as possible because man something will come out of the blue that you wouldn't have never thought of or yeah. or whatever or you want to be as open-minded as possible like for me again driving down the road you'll see something and it's like i would have never thought that it would inspire me to write yeah. that one quick thing you know well that's what's so bizarre is like you think of it, but it's a different part of you it than the, like, the busy part. You <laughs> yeah. know? It's like there's this part that we're always... That it's like Sam Harris was talking about how when we, when we meditate or when we observe ourselves, it's kind of like, like it's like there's two people in us, mm-hmm. and one of, a, one of us is looking at us, yeah. but they're both us. Yeah. And it's kind of that. It's like it's that second part of you that tells you about these awesome ideas and then you're like okay and you like obey them or whatever but yeah uh 
it's hard to account for what that thing is. Like, it is, yeah. I think that's I think that's what everybody through years and years have tried to put down on paper to to make other people understand. And I think it's everybody, and that's the cool thing about people is everybody's individual, everybody's different, and that and those voices or whatever that is, and and everybody's head is so different, and and it's just cool to see creative talk to other creative people. And be like, well, what's that voice like for you? Well, it's movies in my head. Well, what's yeah. that voice like for you? Well, it's like Uncle Jesse from Dukes of Hazard handing me a <laughs> banjo can and telling me to play. <laughs> you know, it's like it's different for everybody. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. and that's so cool because you can yeah. you can take a lot from people. I mean, you listen, you observe, and you can take a lot away from people if you if you listen to observe and and listen to the right things. You know? Observing is a big part of it, man. Just yeah. and that that to me is a huge part of creativity is just having your eyes open to everything around you as uh, as often as possible. Yeah. You said something else interesting that I, that I'd like to that I'd like to ask about. You, you talked about the importance, I guess, for you of family and friends. Yeah. And I I got the sense today from your whole from your clan <laughs> that like from, from my tribe. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a seriously meaningful thing. Like in a way that I'm that's that's like kind of nice to see. You know, that's kind of cool. Uh, um, and I wondered, I don't know, you can just elaborate on that, I guess, just like yeah, why that's been important to your creative journey. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've always, like, I was homeschooled, so I was just around my, my family a lot. And with that being homeschooled, I got to do the things that interest me. So I got to do it, build up on my own self and I guess my own character and, and, and stuff like that. But as far as like family and stuff, we've always done everything as a family, whether it be like the business, like the antique mall I'd mentioned, or, uh, it was, or it was, uh, racing with my dad. Like that was a whole family oriented thing. Like I remember, I remember racing with my great granddad who at the time, yeah, he, wow. Yeah. So I, I have memories of, of things like that where racing with my great granddad, my granddad, and I was, I was fortunate now looking back, you know, you're a kid, you don't know, so you're just like, well, this is just my life. This is what's normal. Right. But looking back, it's like I feel so fortunate to be able to do that because there's a lot of people that don't even know their grandparents or never met their grandparents. So I got to say I got to meet my great granddad and not only do that, but do things that interest me and do things with the family with him. So it's since I was young, family definitely been important, and so with that, like material things, it's for me it's just that's that's out the window i could they're they're important to me obviously but i mean it's like you know something could happen to my van tomorrow or whatever it's like all right was my friends okay is my mom okay is is everybody good cool that's all i need yeah that's that's fine did i lose half my guitars great whatever is everybody cool all right we keep trugging you know (laughs) (laughs) so that you know whether it be we have a family business because everything i mean i can it's a big family discussion where whether we buy a vehicle or not sometimes, you know, it's like, Hey, everybody good with this. We like this. It's like, all right, cool. Well, all right, well, I'm getting the money tomorrow. I'll get the trailer. We're all going to go and pick it up. And it's like, I've always been around. That's been situational things for, for ever since I was little. So mm. that, and then, you know, the friend group, you grow up as kids and whatnot. And, and through your teens, you kind of realize, well, that guy wasn't really my friend or this, that, and the other. Yeah. And you, and you learn real quick who your friends are, especially if you own and operate your own business or, you know, you do, you, you pursue something like music that is, you know, you have your own thing going on. You, you really learn real quick and man, all I can say is the friends that stick around and support you 
and that love you and that will show up for you, those are the people that you need to keep around like all the time. And luckily, uh, with where I am at now, if that's the, every friend I've got now, I know I could call, I could be on the side of the road or have a situation going on, and I, I know they, they'll be there. Like, and that's the kind of people I want sticking around me all the time in my corner, you know? Mm-hmm. So friends and family are a, a huge deal. And Hell yeah. I got, I got, I got good ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's badass. <laughs> I love it. Um, cool. So what are some of the, um, what are some of the big moments for you so far since you started doing this whole music life thing? And Oh gosh. You know, anything that, that stands out to you is just like a moment where you're like, you know, shit is going okay. It's all right. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it, it's ups and downs like anything, but I mean, I don't know. There's there's a lot of little moments like that. I, th- I think that you that is with anything you don't want to take for granted because there are a lot of little moments that happen that are, are big deals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be recording your first time or uh, opening up for that big first big act or you know, meeting that right person at the right time kind of deal. I, I, I don't know. It's, that's kind of hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Because it's, it, it always seems like just one big blob sometimes. Because <laughs> like, as you imagine, driving from town to town, and it's just like, well, how was the shows? I guess I, they were all right. Yeah, I don't remember half of them, but yeah, they were all right. <laughs> so it's that's kind of hard to pinpoint because it's just feels like, it feels like it's something that's nonstop. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but as far as big moments, I mean, it, it's got to be obviously playing my family's first, the Power and Sound Festival, the yeah. big festival we put on. I mean, stepping up on stage and looking out and seeing not only familiar faces, but the people that we we all drove into this thing. It was like, oh, my gosh, it worked. I can't believe it worked. And then not only did it work, it worked again. <laughs> and then stepping out on stage and seeing twice that many people and going, yeah. holy shit, it's working. <laughs> that that's, that's a big moment. So there's moments like that in the music where it's like I'm playing a festival that my mom and sister put on and it's worked so hard to do and just seeing the fruits of the labor kind of thing and mm-hmm. being a part of it, you know. So that, there's, that's probably some of the biggest things that stick out. That's amazing, that yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, what, that's that's got to be interesting for you as a musician, like this platform that your family is inventing. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is incredible. Like, I mean, like, okay, I mean, this is a great one. I just thought of it. It's, uh, man, you know, we had the Steelwoods uh, headlining last year, and it, the, the way the property is, um, it's a hill behind the stage that you have to, a gravel road that goes behind the stage. Well, they showed up with a big trailer and tour bus, as Steelwoods would do. It's like, well, how are we going to get the equipment from this trailer up in this parking lot down on this tiny road to the stage? It's like, well, we got to get a golf cart, trailers, this, that, and the other. So I am like with that good friend group I mentioned, the half of the van club that I'm with and all my good buddies, this, that, and the other. We're up there literally heaving Steelwoods equipment onto a golf cart trailer, loading it down, Mm -hmm. taking it up. And man, of course, Steelwoods played, killed it. And then there's Steelwoods tour manager, like right there. He's like, he's commanding, like me and all my friends, like, all right, guys, we got to do this, that, and the other. We got to load this up. And we're loading thousands of dollars of equipment onto a tiny golf cart trailer. And like, those are moments that stick out that 
that they're musical, but it's like those are moments in time that I like to go back and refer to if I'm writing a song or something too. So I, I just remember just me and all my buddies at two o'clock in the morning after the festival's way over and ended, everybody's tired. We're looking at the Steelwoods equipment, loading it up, and like <laughs> we're tearing down the soundstage ourselves, you know. So that that was pretty cool. That that was another big musical world thing that I I will never forget. <laughs> well, you you just said something that's real accurate. It's memorable moments and how we use those to kind of in the writing process. And novelists do the same thing, and it's like why and like like yeah, how yeah, yeah, like how? you know i was in louisville yesterday and there was like a whole scrapbook place and i you know like some people just scrapbook instead and it's, yeah. a, it's a little simpler it <laughs> is know? a little simpler <laughs> like uh you know i wonder if you can talk it a little bit i won't keep you much longer but i wonder if you oh, can no. talk a little bit about um sort of how that works the impetus to kind of when you notice there's a moment like that yeah Maybe maybe you can talk a little about this. Maybe you can talk about what it feels like when you notice that you're in one of those moments that you're just like it's imprinted on your memory in oh, a way man. where you're like this is this is part of the reserve now. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it. it my, my dad said it best. You never remember the times that went smooth. You always remember the times when shit fucked up. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. Man, I can tell you as many van trips motorcycle trips and stuff with buddies and vans and just i can tell you so many times of shows and things and from power and sound and like you never remember when things went smooth yeah your brain's at idle man it's like all right everything's going good i'm not worried when shit starts hitting the fan that's what you remember and that's the snapshot moments of of things in time that like sometimes i just i will never forget but and and me and a friend were talking about this uh, another day uh you know, sometimes moments are are the best moments in the world. Like the, when when everything went absolutely one hundred percent right, and you feel really good or whatever. And I remember he uh, he was. We were both coming in. We were at my house, and we had all the van club in the backyard and this, that, and the other camping out. And uh, it was mom and the kid. We had this garage, and through that is a glass door and. In the kitchen was all my friends from the van club, some people from Power and Sound, like we were all doing that kind of stuff too. And mom was like cooking some sort of dinner for that night or whatever. And and me and my buddy were just standing in the garage and he was like, Hey, this is one of this this is one of those snapshot moments. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we were talking about that day. It's like and we were just looking through the door and just like that perfect like painting of a good time or yeah. like that perfect moment. Like those are things that, like, the slightest of moment. It was milliseconds, but just everybody having a good time. You're looking through this glass door in a garage, and it's like, uh, that's one of the moments I'll never forget. And so when you're around those things like that, that's that's important to me. And that, yeah. of course, back in the songwriting, and you just try to, you try to capture that and display that to people. You know? <laughs> that's right. And sometimes you take those moments, well, it depends. Some people might not, but... What I sometimes do with those moments is I notice it, and I don't know why, but it, it develops into the story that creates a context for that appreciation or something. Yeah. Like, it's interesting how it shifts into the world of story, but I'll give you one example. Uh, I, was at an, I was playing New Year's Eve at a bar. A bunch of friends were there. This girl 
I was dating a girl at the time, and this girl walked up to me and was like, um, you didn't kiss me for New Year's Eve or something. Oh, what? And I was like, oh, this just got weird. <laughs> and I felt like very awkward about it. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like, hey, this is my girlfriend. And, there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> introduced her, and she was like, oh, shit, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Like, I'm not... I just, I'm not, I'm like somebody who doesn't, I'm not hooking up with any musicians. <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't agree. And so, but then I was, somehow that evolved into like, what is it, how do you tell a story about somebody who feels ashamed of a kiss at New Year's? Ah, And that's what go. the song became. Instead of like the exact experience, yeah. it became this other thing of like this whole love story of, uh, it's called Evening Gown. And it's like this love story almost of like, reflecting on like how did it happen that yeah. we that we were ashamed of kissing each other or something yeah yeah know? yeah and there's moment like you pull from that moment and and stuff and then you see like you might watch a tv show or something or whatever you, you pull from other moments and experiences that wound up in this one whole story to create yeah like the one story I, I like songs like that too i love love when stuff like that happens do you have a favorite song of yours Oh gosh! Well, when I say that, do you have a song of yours that is one of your favorites right now? <laughs> right now, there we go. That that's the that's the question. Yeah. <laughs> More fair. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think right now, I think that would be one. Uh, I think it's one called I wrote called Fairy Tale, or Fairy Tales, um, and that one's more talking about just how life will knock you on your ass, kind of thing. And, you know, not everything is on a silver spoon and you just got to, you got to grind and work hard and, and, and things like that. So it's, it's talking about just how, you know, I'm trying to remember the line in the course. I got to sink to myself to remember, <laughs> but, um, you got to get the movie rolling. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I got to refer to the movie. Uh, there's a line in it this, that in the course that comes around and it says, thank you, Lord, for making my life a living hell because you can't make a man if you give him a fairy tale. Mm. So damn, it's just about, you know, just how life is just, it may suck in the moment no matter what you're going through or those shitty moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life, but it's the things that develop your character or your work ethic or, you know, the, those, those type of things that contribute to when you stand there and look back, it's like, I made it through that. It's mm-hmm. like I'm tougher now, or I know how to approach this now. So it's just about those those moments in life that just gut absolutely gut punch you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I noticed like when I was thinking about evening gown. That's what I noticed. It is it is moments that are like a weird mental challenge. Yeah, like, it's like an obstacle course. How am I going to do this? Yeah, <laughs> and it's almost like those stories teach you parts of how you hypothetically could or would or how other people should right yeah yeah <laughs> other yeah. kinds of things yeah they, their songs are just fucking they're just songs are just really interesting little mysteries you know yeah um since we've been talking about festivals so much i just got to ask you this i don't know why same as songwriting it just it's in my head i have to ask you um if you were organizing a two-day festival, <laughs> you were headlining uh, Saturday, obviously. Like you're you're the headliner, uh, but who else would you want? Oh. Who else would you want on this festival? Oh my gosh, what a question! A live this is gonna dead. be a wild ass festival. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, oh man! Have it any other way? I mean, I, it would be great to have somebody like freaking Blackberry Smoke 
and then somebody like uh, Charlie Crockett, and then for me, then somebody like uh, Truck Fighters, The Sword, <laughs> King Buffalo, uh, golly, who else? Uh, who would close the night? <laughs> I don't know, man. That that would be tough. That is so tough. But it, it would be, it would be, I can tell you, it would be the weirdest assortment of people in that crowd. Because I'm going to have, oh my gosh, I'd have, like I said, Blackberry Smoke. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. Now I'm just picturing my Spotify playlist. And yeah. that and then when that's on shuffles, shit gets wild. Because <laughs> you may go from Hank Williams to freaking The Sword, where it's just dun da da dun da dun Yeah. Got big drum sounds and everything. But yeah, I mean... I don't know. With with my music taste now, it would be this southern folky thing mixed with just heavy, heavy cosmic sound yeah. and stuff. <laughs> I love that heaviness is a part of your whole taste. I, just, I think that's so interesting. Dude, a baritone, a baritone guitar, B standard. Oh man, I, 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 a good friend, Sam Foster, for my birthday, he bought me a baritone guitar in the Whiskey Foxtrot times. And we had a few songs that we could incorporate baritone on. And man, like, it's it's one of those things where when you have that song, it's like, all right, is this going to work out on the six string? No. And I look over at that baritone and I'm like, all right. And then pedals on, big old amp, and it's like, this works. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's like, so it just goes that direction. But yeah, I mean, that baritone, that, that thing is, is become my baby and, and learning about those, getting into those bands and learning about those alternate tunings. Like, oh, the bass player, his top string is tuned to a C. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's chunking on that thing. Or, no, they're tuned like a full step down. Like, we, you need to get, you need to get a compressor pedal and squish that thing and a big muff and a Fender Bassman or an orange amp and turn it all the way up to 12. <laughs> but, yeah, so it'd be bands like that. Yeah. Where orange amps and and you know some sort of smoke is going through the crowd, uh-huh. and then you know somebody like Paul Cawthon and Charlie Crockett are up next, yeah. <laughs> and then Tyler Childers and Billy Strings. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Billy would be a good one to. Close there we the go. Night. Oh, Billy, yeah, he he get everybody after everybody's all pumped up, and then he close the night out and smooth everything. Out. Yeah, uh, that that that's the perfect festival. But. <laughs> With uh, with with the things that'll be floating around there, it'd probably last a week. <laughs> it's like we're still here. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I have to ask one, like, uh, about the van club. What do you guys do? Oh, what don't we do? <laughs> do you get like? Do you know about Trog? That sounds. What's that? The the race of gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where they uh. Take the uh, old bikes and and the uh, old A model bodies and stuff and race on the beach. Yeah, and stuff. that that's some cool stuff. Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to go to that this year. You actually. will have a blast there. I've, that's one thing I've always wanted to do is go to there and see that because that's some that's some old school technology and old school ways of, of racing. Like people people think like those cars. It's like they were racing those cars like that in that time. Like no, that's some 50s and 60s stuff. So you're seeing those teenagers and like the 20 year olds that had 200 dollars in the pocket buying a cheap old car from mm-hmm. the 30s flathead v8 and revving it up to you know three grand or however that little flathead could go <laughs> and just ripping around town and racing people the american graffiti type stuff yeah, you know absolutely but yeah that race of gentlemen that's freaking that, that's badass stuff that's yeah i'm stuff. excited about it. i'm trying to make a, a little tour out of it so we're i'm seeing how that works out but 
Uh, yeah, I mean, do y'all like travel with the vans and just kind of? We do, do we do. Uh, like that? We've we've worked with the with the the um, arts and trades. We've actually put on a, a thing at Lucky City Brewing in in Reedsville and teamed up. Of course, most of the friends are with Power and Sound, and we have, we say that Power and Sound Revival is our um, that's your if you're in the club, that's your one commitment. You know, that's the one thing you have to do. So mm-hmm. you got to bring up, show out to Power and Sound. And um, there's another event. There's other events later on this year. Um, Heavy in the Holler put on by Renegade Bands that we're going out to in Irwin, Tennessee. Um, let's see, what else events are we going to? I think there's talks about, um, oh, Smoky Mountain Chopper Fest. And then there's talks about uh, Backroad uh, Barbecue Run mm. and a few other ones. But um, I wouldn't mind some barbecue right about it. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to get hungry myself. <laughs> but we, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's that core group of friends i was talking about earlier um the guy i started at the van club with uh brandon finney he uh he bought a bubble window from me to put on the side of his van i had a, an extra one at power and sound and we met at the first one and he, dug, he he had a van i had the van and we just got to talking and become real good friends and my other friends got vans and we just looked around and go well shoot we're a van club now so we got foggy Love mountain it. foggy mountain van club you can check us out on instagram and all that stuff but you see us floating around come on and say hi but um yeah it's it's, it's really just it's nothing like hardcore whatever it's just literally a group of friends that have vans and we go and camp out we'll have we'll have the best time in a parking lot you could ever had or <laughs> best time in a field or whatever we camped last night at, uh, at where where was it? Um, Blissful Ridge in in Reedsville, and we were just chilling out on this hillside. You know, all camped out in our vans, grilling, and I love it, having a good time. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a blast, man. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I'm not going to keep you longer. Um, uh, we should. I just I, w- I want to make sure that those who are listening have a chance to check out everything wherever they should. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to just mention what your website is and all that shit. Uh, JSWMusicNC.com. You can check out JSWMusicN underscore NC on Instagram. And also JSWArt underscore NC. That's more my personal one on Instagram. Um, any music platforms, just type in Seth Williams. You'll find me. Um, putting. I've had uh, recent singles come out. And so you can check those new singles out and recording right now so be on the lookout for that kind of stuff and uh the biggest thing this year i'm playing is definitely power and sound revival so yeah yeah. may 19th and 20th y'all come out to power and sound bring your ride if you got one if you don't buy one fix it up and come on and show it out (laughs) so it'll be a good time i'm gonna try to push this hard and uh, i hope some people will seriously go to it and i can say from seeing you perform I really enjoy what you do, Thank and I've really Thank enjoyed you. the opportunity to like learn more about your perspective as an artist. Um, as ex- exactly as I thought, I feel <laughs> like we all uh, understand each other in some kind of unspoken way. So it, yeah, it is. It's a it's an unspoken bond between musicians, especially ones you connect with. That, mm-hmm. that it just it just clicks, man. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> same, same with when I met Bo. It's just like, yep, uh, y'all are my people. So that's it. Man. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> seriously, thank you for your time, man. Man, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. All right. Mm-hmm.